Congratulations to Steph Curry. He is now the all-time leader in three points made, passing Ray Allen in Tuesday night's game against the Knicks. Historical moment. We'll touch on that. The Lakers are apparently looking to trade Russell Westbrook already. Uh, it hasn't been the smoothest of starts for the Lakers, and it looks like they are ready to break the team apart. Wolves beat Brighton 1-0. They finally score after four games without scoring. Wolves are back on track. Arsenal beat West Ham in a top four race matchup. They beat them 2-0, and they are now in the top four. Man in the Arena Episode 5 was amazing. It was great. This whole documentary has been great, but Episode 5 was great. Uh, we learned more about Giselle, uh, the relationship with Tom Brady and Giselle, uh, another loss to the Giants. We'll touch on that. It was another interesting episode of Man in the Arena. Chiefs and Chargers play tomorrow. Thursday Night Football is going to be a key matchup in the AFC West race. We'll touch on that. And the dreaded discussion of the day. Are we headed toward another sports COVID shutdown? A lot of leagues are reporting a lot of cases. What does this mean for the NFL, the NBA, and the Premier League, worldwide soccer? What's we'll touch on that. All of that on this episode of the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast. Let's get started. First and foremost, congratulations to Steph Curry. He is now the all-time leader in three points made. I uh, just want to congratulate him. Historic one night. I'm glad he did it against the Knicks in a historic place like Madison Square Garden. Um, it it could have happened against the Sixers two games ago. It could have happened against the Pacers uh, the game before. Fortunately, it didn't happen. I think it was fitting that it happened. And then such a historical site like Madison Square Garden. Uh, everyone was there. Uh, it was nice to see Ray Allen there, Reggie Miller there. It was just great. It was a it was an important historic moment for the NBA for Steph Curry, and just want to congratulate him. But where I disagree with people is they're kind of waiting for this moment to crown Steph Curry as the greatest shooter of all time. I think it's been it's been apparent for like the last six years that he's the greatest shooter of all time. Once Steph Curry break broke into the limelights, once he um announced himself as a star, as a superstar in this league, as an all-time great. We knew that he was the greatest shooter of all time. This is kind of a formality, in my opinion. Like, we just knew. We knew. I've been knowing. Everyone's been knowing. Steph Curry's been one of the best players in in the in the history of the NBA, let alone the best three-point shooter of all time. Uh, we could have seen this coming. We could have predicted this uh, 2014, 2015 when... Um, when the Warriors were starting to become a threat, when they were, you know, winning chips and stuff like that, when Steph Curry was breaking the records for most threes in a season, we could see this coming. It was only a matter of time, but it doesn't take away from the moment. It doesn't take away from how impressive this is. Now Steph Curry at 2,977, um, he's probably going to end up somewhere near 5,000 or around 5,000. I think it's going to be hard for any player to catch up with him. The the volume that Steph Curry has, the green light that he has, the system that he plays in with the Warriors, that they just allow him to find open spots, um, the way they move him around all over the court. You you could run him off the off the line, but with all the ball movement that they do, with all the backside picks and screens that they do, it's almost impossible to not get an open shot to Steph Curry, plus the unlimited range that he has. He's basically, if he wants to shoot a three, he's going to shoot it. So it's going to be hard for anyone to ever break this record. This is looking like one of those unbreakable records. Not at the number that he's in right now, 29.77, but barring injury, barring, hope, knock on wood, nothing happens to Steph Curry um, if he keeps playing for another three, four, or five years. Because he is such an elite shooter, he doesn't rely on like straight-out athleticism to stay in the NBA. I can see Steph Curry having another three, four good years in the NBA, so he's just going to keep piling on those three-pointers. So, this looks like Steph Curry is going to put this out of reach. He's going to, he's going to, by the time he's done, it's going to be almost impossible for anyone to catch up. Even Trey Young, Luca, any of these guys that are shooting a lot of threes, Steph Curry is just unreal. Like, if you look at the, the season, most threes <clears throat> in a season, it's all Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Ray Allen. And that's crazy because yeah, Steph Curry, 
just rewrote the history books just uh, he made he made the NBA fun. He changed the game. That's what I gotta give Steph credit for. He changed the game. Um, he made the little guy. He made the not athletic guy a, a real contributor in the NBA. He made he changed the game. You gotta you gotta defend players as soon as they have um, as soon as they pass half court. You gotta start defending players nowadays. Uh, the three the three point the three point shot is has never been more valuable. If you don't have the three point shot, like. You're a liability, and there's only so many of you guys that could be in the roster. If you can't shoot the three, you got to look around and be like, okay, they're only going to have like two or three of us in this roster. I better be the best one, or I better start doing something else, or just learn how to shoot. And I think Steph Curry is the one that changed the game, is the one that that revolutionized the NBA. Like now we're seeing JaVel McGee hitting threes. We're seeing Vucevic hit threes. We're seeing a lot of people that picked up the three. Like you saw Marcus saw pick it up at the end of his career. It's just ridiculous. You saw, you just see so many centers picking up the trade because it's like, bro, if you can't shoot the three, it's bad. It's bad for you. You gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta make it work. I just, I'm just thinking like Jaleel Okafor, he came into the league right as Steph Curry was, uh, you know, taking over the league by storm, winning MVPs. Jaleel Okafor had some of the prettiest footworks. He, he was uh, supposed to be one of the best big men in the low post with all that beautiful footwork. But, you know, he, obviously he had other downfalls. That wasn't the only reason why he didn't succeed. But the NBA changed right as he got to the league. And he was looking around like, oh, I could just bully ball. Uh, give me give me some possessions in the post let me get to work let me let me get some twos let me tough it out the NBA changed right as he got into the league because of Steph Curry and he couldn't adapt he never developed that three he, he his his game looked ancient compared to this modern NBA and you know he never he never really had a spectacular important role in the NBA and that 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 change, that movement that happened during those years, it's all because of Steph Curry. Steph Curry revolutionized the game. He he you um you really noticed the importance of a three point shot when Steph Curry was making those threes. The way he could just sway a game. You're up two, Steph Curry hits four in a row, you're down ten in a blink of an eye. Stuff like that, just like it was crazy. He's still doing it to this to this day. Um, the Warriors are probably the favorites to win the NBA title this year with Clay coming back soon, with Wiseman coming back. But I just want to congratulate Steph Curry on an accomplishment. Um, I think we could have all seen this. It's nothing, nothing that no one, that I don't think anyone is surprised that this happened this year. If we, you could have looked at the numbers before the season and you're like, okay, Steph Curry's going to crush this by like game 30. And sure enough, he did it. So congratulations to Steph. We've seen this coming. You are a monster. The fact that we, like a record that we thought was never going to get broken by Reggie Miller that got broken by Ray Allen. And then you're like, all right, you know, Ray Allen broke the record, extended it in the latter stages of his career when he was getting, you know, a few like 50 per season or whatever. I don't know. I don't know the exact numbers, but you're like, OK, he's getting there. He's getting there. Give it a couple more years. The fact that Steph Curry is still in his prime and is just blowing past this and we're thinking that he's gonna end up in around the 5,000 May threes is ridiculous and it just goes to show you the greatness of Steph Curry the Lakers are trying to trade Russell Westbrook already reports have came out today that the Lakers and you know the top personnel in the Lakers are you know fielding calls they're calling the NBA they're they're looking around they're trying to see what they can get for Westbrook and honestly, all I got to say is I just feel bad for Westbrook. I feel bad for Westbrook because he's an all-time great point guard. He's a, he's one of the best one-man machines ever. Uh, I, I compare him to LeBron in that sense that you could put any, any, type, any type of player, any coach around him, and he's going to drag you. He's going to drag you to the playoffs. The difference between Westbrook and LeBron is that Westbrook would drag you to the playoffs. LeBron would drag you probably to the 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 finals or you know conference final. But that's no knock on Westbrook. He's he's an amazing talent. And if you if you need a franchise reviver, if you need someone to take you to the playoffs, if you've missed the playoffs for a lot of years, 
then Westbrook would be the guy that you want because he's going to revitalize your franchise. He's going to make you relevant. He's going to take you to the playoffs. But once you're there, he might not be the guy as much as a Russell Westbrook fan that I am because I'm a big one. I, I used to have a screensaver on my phone that said best Bestbrook. They changed the W for a B on Westbrook and it said Bestbrook. And I used to watch his little compilations on YouTube and I just like the fiery attitude that he has. I like when he does the rock the rock rocking a baby. I just I, I like I like how this dude plays. I like his old school mentality. I like how he doesn't really have too many friends. Like he's cool with Harden and he's cool with K D now and he's he's cool with LeBron and he's cool with some other people. But when when they're playing, when they're competing, it's you you know, you're the enemy and I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get this dub against you. And unfortunately, sometimes he doesn't really think. He's not the the most uh, IQ. He doesn't have the highest IQ. He's not the savviest player. But he's still like he's still amazing. I, he's still one of my all-time favorite players, in my opinion. But we can all agree that this big three the Lakers formed this year has been nothing short of underperforming, underwhelming. Uh, the Lakers have struggled it's been tough to watch at times or most of the times uh the offense it sometimes could be excruciating to watch where you're just watching and you're like man what are we doing like oh i'm watching because i'm a fan but this is some terrible basketball and the lakers have been fortunate that they've had a relatively very easy schedule to start the season or it could be worse if, if we if the lakers would have had a tougher schedule to start the season. This thing could have been just awful. And you could say maybe the Lakers play down to the competition. If, if they play better teams, uh, they might rise up and you will see the best Lakers because, you know, they do have some quality wins. They, they did beat the Celtics. and But we can all say that Westbrook, AD, and LeBron has not been a smooth ride. By no means. It has not been smooth. It has not increase the confidence of Laker fans, you know, probably any of the upper management, the coach. I don't think anyone feels better at this point in the season than, than they did before the season. And usually, you know, you want to see some progress. You want to start dreaming about NBA finals as the season goes along. And so far, I would, I think it would be, it wouldn't be harsh to say that if you're a Laker fan, if, if you support the Lakers, if you have anything invested in the Lakers, you're starting to lose a little bit of that confidence or hope that you had if you ever had it if going into the season. It's it's winding down. It's little by little. Every ugly game, every ugly turnover, every ugly possession that the Lakers have, every loss to OKC or the Pistons or just tough loss to the Grizzlies or any tough game that they've had, it just... It just chips away at your confidence, and you're like, "Yeah, it might not be the year. It might not. This might not be it." And then you see the Warriors, you see the Suns, you see the other teams in the West, and you're like, "Damn, we gotta get it together." So I get why the Lakers are trying to move Westbrook. I don't see them trading LeBron, obviously. AD, who has not been AD, who he should be getting criticized. He is, but he should be getting more criticism. Um, he has not been, you know, what the Laker fans. Laker management would have hoped. And Westbrook, he's had his up and downs. He's been playing better as of late, but he has had his up and downs. I don't think this is what the Lakers wanted, expected. So I do see, you know, Westbrook being the easy out, being the scapegoat. I do see why Westbrook would be the one that would, you know, be the one to leave. But I like Westbrook, man. I, I would like him to stay. I would like, I would, I might. Best case scenario, the Lakers are able to figure it out. Um, Laker um, Westbrook continues to be a Laker, and he gets a ring with the Lakers, and you know it's all kumbaya, and everything. Everyone's happy. I'm happy. I'm, I get to see Westbrook get a ring, um, and he gets a little bit of revenge on KD for leaving him like that, just leaving him up and dry. But it's starting to look like, you know, he's not gonna make it past the trade deadline. It's starting to look like. This Laker team needs to do something to better themselves, whether it be 
you know, firing Vogel, which a lot of people are against, a lot of people in the media are against. I've seen the talk shows, the morning shows, you know, a lot of the, Vogel has a lot of, you know, supporters in there. Myself, I know he's a defensive coach. The defense hasn't been that great. The offense hasn't been that great. So, you know, I like Vogel. I appreciate what he's done. But if he's a defensive coach and the defense isn't good, then we know. What, what is he doing? Like, what I know it's, there's a lot of things to be a coach. You got to be a people person. You got to management. You got to do a lot of stuff. But his rotations were horrible. He played uh, Jordan way too long. You can't have Jordan starting as your center in 2021. Anyone could have seen that. And there's stats to prove it that as soon as the Lakers benched DeAndre Jordan, their offense got way better. And, you know, it doesn't take a genius to see that. So... Vogel might be gone. That could be one of the moves you do. The other move is you just break this big three. You try to get something for Westbrook, and you move on, and hopefully whoever you bring in gels better than Westbrook. The other move would be trade AD, but that's like the nuclear option. That would break the internet. Um, Another option is, you know, you just finally get through AD, and you tell him to start playing like a big man and not like a point guard and be a little tougher and shoot better from three because he's abysmal from three this season. But we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm sure you could hear it in my voice. Talking about the Laker gets me a little um, irked up, a little frustrated. Uh, I'm sure if Laker fans that are watching them will feel the same way, just looking at the Lakers, talking about the Lakers, seeing LeBron approach age 37, seeing AD not ready to take the mantle, seeing, you know, Westbrook doing some dumb shit sometimes. It's been a tough, it's been a tough season. We'll see how it finishes. We'll see if the Lakers trade Westbrook. For my money, I think he will get moved. This Lakers need to do something. They're not just going to sit, put, and, you know, let it happen. It's either Westbrook gets traded, Vogel gets fired, or both. So pick pick your poison. What do you, What do you guys want? For my money, Westbrook gets traded, new players get brought on, and it improves a little bit. Vogel keeps his job. But let me know what you guys think. Wolves finally score a goal after four games, 0-0, losing 1-0, losing 1-0. After four games of the Wolves not scoring a single goal, they have now scored a goal. And they win 1-0 at Brighton. First goal since November 20th against West Ham. Almost a full calendar month without scoring a goal. The Wolves are back on the victory column. There's hope for Europa for next season. And Brighton has now gone 11 straight games without winning. So they're doing worse than us for sure. But overall, Wolves look like the better team the whole game. Away game, a game that the Wolves had to have known that they had to have. Lose, not not get victories against uh, Burnley, against um, Norwich, and then losing to Liverpool, losing against Man City. All right, that's that's not the end of the world. But not scoring against Norwich, not scoring against Burnley, and you have Chelsea coming up on Sunday. You you just had to know that if you were trying to get a result in any of these fixtures, it had to be against Brighton. And thankfully for the Wolves, it did. Um, some upsetting stuff happened before the game. Ryan Outnori hurt before the game. At the beginning of the game, Juan Hichan pulls his hamstring, is out. Hopefully not for too long. The squad is already very thin. Raul Jimenez should be coming back from suspension next game against Chelsea. But to now have Juan, we'll see what happens with him, how long he's out for with the hamstring. Outnori, we'll see how long he's out. Uh, the squad is thin and is getting thinner. So, you know... It might be rough times for Wolves. We'll see what they do in the transfer market. But takeaways from this game, Nevis is still the best player for Wolves. It's clear as day. He's a masterclass in the center midfield. That perfectly weighted pass chipped over the defender into Roman size pathway. And Roman size, you know, as a center back, it was an impressive, impressive finishes. Opens his hips, guides it into the corner, scores a goal, first goal, and over 360 minutes of playing time, unbelievable. 
1-0 Wolves into halftime. And then the Wolves came out in the second half firing. They had chances. Trincao had a shot on the, on the bottom right. That The goalie had a good save. Uh, Marsal had a, like, deflected. He tried to cross it, but it hit the post. There was other, I think Potens had a shot. Um, even Roman Saz had another one that hit the post. It, it, Wolves looked like an onslaught was coming. You thought they were going to go 2-0, and you're like, okay, once you go 2-0, Brighton has to push up. They haven't won a game in 10, in 10 games. Get them in the counterattack. You, you'll see Adama in the counterattack. But, you know, the game got halted quite a bit. The ref had some problems with his shirt, with his, with his mic. Um, I don't know, with his earpiece. It, he, he just had a lot of troubles. The game got halted for five minutes, resumed, and then it got halted again. It was just annoying. As a Wolves fan, you, you see the momentum going your way. You, you think you could put these guys away in the beginning of the second half. You know, just a punch to the gut. Just knock them out. They haven't won in 10 games. You know, there's been booze at home. The coach is getting, like, it's, it's talking about the fans, not supporting them. Like, where were you guys before me or something like that? So you just, you know, you want to punch them in the gut. You want to knock them out. You want to show them that, you know, go home, give up. But these 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 revs pauses kind of kill the mojo, kind of kill the momentum. But thankfully for the Wolves, Brighton Brighton looked very toothless at the moment. They only got two shots on target. They did have some chances that they couldn't finish. They kind of skied it and didn't even get it on goal. But thankfully for the Wolves, they're able to hang on. They the defense has been amazing. Um, four games where you don't score a goal, yeah, that sucked. But it had been what five games. And they had only um, given up one, um, three goals. I mean, two goals. Gave up zero against West Ham, zero against Norwich, zero against Burnley, one against Liverpool, one against Man City. And the Man City one was a penalty. So that defense has been amazing. It's been great. Uh, when Bruno Lodge came into the Wolves, we, you know, we were sold on this offensive style. Like Bruno, Bruno Ball. Like he's going to unlock Adama Traore. He's he's gonna ease Raul Jimenez back into the form. Like we were thinking about, like oh, he's gonna develop Silva. It was Bruno Ball. Bruno Ball is gonna be offensive. It has been nothing like that, but surprisingly, the defense has really stepped up, and we'll take that. We'll take that. Probably the third best defense in the Premier League, I believe. It's been good stuff. Good to see the Wolves score again. Find that feeling of scoring a goal. And we'll see how the Wolves do against Chelsea. It's going to be a tough match. Chelsea, who's very, very sound at the back two. They play a back five who are in third place, you know, in that title race. Wolves are now eighth. So, you know, there's some Europa League hopes it could happen. But for the Wolves, I think it's a great result. Keeps them, you know, in the upper half of the table. And if I was being honest, I think... Probably 0-0 or 1-0 either way against Chelsea. Two elite defenses, two very sound teams. Um, Wolves finally found their scoring boost. I'm happy for the Wolves. Great result as a Wolves fan. Glad to see that. I hope Juan Hichan is not out for too long. They should have taken him out earlier as soon as they noticed it was a hamstring thing. We'll see what's up with Outnuri and Roman Sainz. What a exquisite finish, my guy. Superb finish, and Nevis just masterclass. I hope Nevis never leaves. I hope Nevis is a Wolves forever. What a exquisite touch. It's going to be in the highlights of the season. That pass, boom, beautiful by Nevis. Wolves beat Brian 1-0. And Arsenal are back in the top four. They beat West Ham 2-0. They are now back in the top four in the Champions League position after... Zero wins in their first three matches. Arsenal and Arteta are in Champions League position. Congratulations to them. They play West Ham at West Ham. And, you know, this is this is that battle for the fourth spot. I, I said it, I think, last episode or the episode before that, that any, any one of these four teams, Tottenham, Manchester United, West Ham, Arsenal, they have what it takes to be that fourth team. That four team. It's a three horse race for the title and it's a four horse race for that four spot. And Arsenal versus West Ham, direct battle for that spot. Arsenal beat them. They jumped to fourth place. Now they have 29 points. West Ham 28. Man United has 27. They could jump to 30. 
and take that fourth spot from Arsenal. But whew, what a game. Um, West Ham didn't really look too, too, too exciting the whole match, if I'm, if I'm being honest. Uh, it looked like they didn't, you know, wake up on the right side of the bed. Uh, Arsenal definitely looked like the most dangerous team. They had the more chances. But there was some controversy. Vladimir Kufal was sent off uh, on a double yellow. The first yellow, he tried to cut off Tierney as he was passing him. Nothing not, nothing malicious on it, just a regular arm across his body. Tierney sold it pretty well. Um, just got his head in there, fell down. He sold it pretty well. Yellow card to Vladimir. And then Arsenal was attacking on another one. He goes to the ground, gets the ball, but clips... Lacazette, Lacazette goes down, sells it too. I think both of them were a little harsh. I could see a yellow for maybe either either or. Like if you give the yellow for the first ones, like all right, it's a little, it's a little, it's a little harsh. But all right, like it's just a yellow. And the other one, if if he wouldn't have been on a yellow, you're like okay, like it's a little harsh. You gave the penalty, that's already harsh enough. Give him a yellow, all right, but. For both of them to be harsh, it just leaves a very, very, very sour taste in your mouth. Especially if you're a West Ham. If you're, I'm a neutral. I'm a Wolves fan, and I it left a sour taste in my mouth. So I can only imagine what West Ham fans are feeling or going through. But nevertheless, West Ham looked toothless. Arsenal looked like the most dom- the more dominant team. Lacazette, Odegaard, Martinelli, they all played really good games. Martinelli had a great finish for the first goal, opening up his hips, placing it on that bottom right corner. That's Thierry Henry's signature finish, opening the hips, finding the bottom right corner. Beautiful, beautiful goal. And then Lacazette missing the penalty. Um, Good for Fabianski for stopping that. And Smith Rowe, what a beast. Smith Rowe, he's a beast, man. Um... They had a counterattack. Smith Rowe has the ball, has the ball, you know, holding the ball, holding the ball, waiting for players to make their runs. Space opening up, space opening up. You're kind of like, I know Arsenal fans were probably like, do something, do something. But man is composed. He's so young. He's so composed. He carries the ball, carries the ball, carries the ball. Boom, shoots. Bottom right corner, 2-0 game. Arsenal top four. And it's impressive. Shout out to Arteta for turning it on, turning it around. I'm not gonna lie, I was one of the people that were calling for his head, uh, but I don't, I don't feel bad about it because um, all the Arsenal fans that I, I know were calling for his head too. So if they, you know, if Arsenal fans are calling for the head, why can't I as a neutral? So I think it was merited for when people were calling for his head, but thankfully Arsenal played the long game and he was able to turn it around. He's now top four. We'll see how he finishes the season. It's a long season. We're not even in Christmas yet. So this could all be a mute point too if he has a rough spell um, after Christmas, after Boxing Day. We'll see how the season plays out. But right now, it looks like he's turned it around. It looks like the team has invested in him. He obviously played a heavy hand, um, taking the captaincy away from Obama Yang, leaving him out of the squad. But the team reacted well. The team full of youngsters, full of energy, full of players that are trying to you know, make a name for themselves. They all responded pretty well. They all look solid out there. Martinelli has really impressed me. I'm I'm excited to see him develop. Obviously, um, they have a lot of um, promising players like Saka, Odegaard. You know, we'll see how they developed right now for them. A crucial victory against West Ham, a team that's in a direct competition for that fourth and final Champions League spot. So shout out. Shout out to Arsenal. Shout out to Arteta. They did look like the dominant team. If you're West Ham, you're going to harp on that red card, on that double yellow. Very, very unfortunate. But overall, I think Arsenal would have managed the result. They were up 1-0 already when he got sent off. So, And West Ham did have some chances. But overall, I think Arsenal are the deserved victors. And they're now in top four. Do I believe Arsenal is going to finish in top four? I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, I could see any of these teams finishing in the top four. West Ham is just one point behind them. Man United, if they win, would jump them for that fourth spot. Tottenham, who have three games less, um, three less games played than Arsenal, 
with if they get just four of those points, they would be jumping them, and they have nine. So if they get four out of nine, they would be jumping them. So by no means is this fourth spot locked up with by Arsenal. Yeah, and the table is a little, you know, it's a little skewed right now because you know Manchester United hasn't played. Tottenham has some missing games. So if let's just hypothetically say Man United wins tomorrow and they go to fourth and Tottenham makes up their games and they pass Arsenal. Arsenal Arsenal would have won this game and gone to sixth. And then you wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't have been the same like, you know, sense of accomplishment from Arsenal after this victory. It would have been like, okay, they won and they moved to sixth. Like, okay, good for you guys. You guys are in a Europa League spot. But because Manchester United play tomorrow and Tottenham has some, some, you know, games they need to catch up on, you know, Arsenal in fourth. So congratulations. But, you know, take it with a grain of salt. That's what I'm trying to say. We'll see how they finish. But overall, like I said, this is going to be a great season. It's been a great season. And there's two races happening right now. One for that, obviously one for the championship. That's going to be, you know, Probably going to go down to the wire. And then another one for that fourth spot. And that's going to go down to the wire too. So I'm very excited. Congratulations to Arsenal on defeating West Ham 2-0. And the Champions League draw has been announced. There was a lot of drama. It had to be redone. And I remember waking up in the morning to get some water. And I checked my phone and I was like, oh, the Champions League draw. Dope. Let me see what it is. And I was like, oh, my God, we're getting Ronaldo versus Messi, United versus PSG. What what a ridiculous draw. I, I just saw that. I tweeted about it. I got all hyped. I tweeted the group chat. It was, it was super late. It was like 3.30 in the morning. But I was hyped, man. I was, I was excited. Ronaldo versus Messi in the Champions League, probably for the last time ever. And then I woke up and, I mean, I think I saw something when... Before I went to bed, Atletico was trying to get it redone. Um, and it got redone. And now Manchester United um, play Atletico and PSG play Real Madrid. Those are the two marquee matchups of the uh, round of 16. Um, both of them very interesting. I'm going to try to watch both of them when, when Champions League returns. Atletico versus United. That might be more difficult for United than PSG just because... United sometimes they lot they lack a lot of cre- creativity and Atletico Madrid you know we they like to put a lot of people behind the ball and you know just make the game real slow and stagnant and win on the counterattack win one zero get you you know they love doing that United is not the most free flowing creative team right now so they could have probably um, like to go and play a counterattack themselves against a team like PSG. We'll see how that goes. PSG versus Real Madrid. Real Madrid, Real Madrid right now in La Liga look like the most the best team in La Liga. It looks like they're going to run away with La Liga, uh, which is impressive. Obviously, Real Madrid, La Liga, important league. But overall, La Liga does look like it's taking a step back this last few seasons, especially this season with Atletico Madrid and Barcelona not being, you know, the the mainstays that they've have. That they have been in, you know, the last decade, two decades, you know, since the start of time. They're not the teams that we're accustomed to them. So, obviously, Real Madrid, we got to see how good they are. Champions League is, is a good barometer. They look good in the league. They look great in the league. We'll see how that translates to um, Champions League. PSG, Messi, obviously, has a lot of matches against Real Madrid. Storyline right there. Um, Sergio Ramos going back to Real Madrid. We'll see how the reception is. I'm sure they're going to applaud this man like crazy. He's a legend. So, oh, like, Kilor Nava is going back to Real Madrid. Like, there's a lot of storylines. There's a lot of storylines there. It's going to be a good game. Uh, I'm excited to see how it plays out. But, man, was I excited for United versus PSG. I was so excited. I When I woke up and I saw that, I tweeted about it. I got all hyped. And then, maybe we can still see it. We can still see it in the quarterfinals or semis or something but it would have been great for the round of 16s the 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 official round of 16 draw fc salzburg versus bayern munich um sorry salzburg you're gonna get ran through by bayern probably sporting versus manchester city benfica versus ajax 
Ajax been on fire. Chelsea versus Lille. Atletico Madrid versus Manchester United. Villarreal versus Juventus. Inter Milan versus Liverpool. That one, two big names, but Liverpool should win pretty convincingly, in my opinion. Juventus Villarreal, that should be a good one. And PSG versus Real Madrid. And for the, the one that got declared voided, the one that didn't count, Benfica versus Real Madrid. Villarreal versus City. Atletico versus Bayern. <laughs> That's probably why Atletico wanted to to get out of that one. Um, Salzburg versus Liverpool. Milan versus Ajax. Sporting, Juventus, Chelsea, Lille. PSG, Manchester United. That was the original one that got voided. Uh, I think the problem that they had was uh, United was not in the pool for when Atletico were up on the board. They should have been one of the teams that Atletico could have drawn, but they weren't there, so... Because of that, it just messed everything up. Once once you don't have United and the Atletico Madrid pot, then obviously anything after that is like relevant or it gets messed up. So <clears throat> so they had to redo it. I understand. I understand why they did it. Uh, it made sense. Like once you s- see the facts or you see what happened, there's there's no there's no way they could have gone. <clears throat> there's no way they could have just proceeded. It would have looked really bad. It would have looked like oh. Champions League just trying to make that cash cow. They're trying to make that money. PSG versus Manchester. So, you know, good for them for rectifying. But you're, if you're the Champions League man, if you're FIFA, if you're UEFA, like, you can't be getting this wrong, man. What, what's going on? But overall, I'm excited for Champions League to come back. It's a good draw. PSG versus Real Madrid. Good, good one. Atletico versus United. That should be a good one. But let me know what you guys think. Were you guys excited for PSG United, because I know I was dying to see that. Man in the Arena Episode 5. Wow. I haven't talked about Man in the Arena since Episode 1. My apologies, but Episode 2, 3, 2 and 3 and 4, they were all good. Uh, episode 4 ended with uh, Tom Brady losing the Super Bowl to the Giants, not completing the perfect season, and we started Episode 5 with uh you know episode five it was clearly it was clear that it was going to be about Giselle and Tom Brady and the relationship and you know Tom Brady growing up as a man as a player um and it was great it was a great it was another good episode it was another great episode shout out to ESPN for this great documentary shout out to Tom Brady but this one this one moved pretty fast like we went from 07 to 2011 like it, it was pretty quick like Brady loses the Super Bowl Brady gets hurt in the next season, has to do a lot of recovery, uh, and then you know comeback season. Then the new offense, Gronk, Aaron Hernandez. I was surprised they mentioned him, but they did. <clears throat> and then we get basically the se- the uh, the the season. The episode ended with the Super Bowl, the rematch: Giants versus Patriots. Super Bowl 2011. The Patriots were hot again. They were they were on fire. Um, overwhelming favorites again, and we all know that the Giants won again. And it was just crazy. Some of the things that really surprised me was Wes Welker. Uh, it just, maybe not surprised, but it just reiterated the fact that he never won a Super Bowl. I had to go on Wiki as I was watching the episode, and I was like, did he did he win one? And then I checked his stats, and, and I checked his achievements, and, you know, all pro, pro bowl, reception leader all these all these achievements and i didn't see super bowl but i was like oh do they put do they put super bowl that's team achievement that's not a player achievement is that is that so i i kept scrolling i looked at his stats and then i looked at his his super bowl stats and then right there it said super bowls and he had he went to three super bowls and he lost all three of them two with the two with the patriots one with the broncos uh, my, I was asking my roommate. I was like, "Really? He never won one." Like we were just kind of like reacting to the to the episode as it was happening. Or like, "Damn, he never won one." And he was like, "Wait, did he not win one? I thought he won with the Broncos." And then I was like, "Oh, he might have. He might have won with the Broncos. I remember he played with the Broncos, but did he? Was he there when they won with the Broncos? But he wasn't. I checked. He he was there when they lost to the to the Seahawks when they got demolished. And then after that." He either retired, he went somewhere else, or he went to the Rams, I believe. But he wasn't there when they beat the Panthers. So Wes Welker, probably the best slot receiver of all time, 
120 plus catches, 115 plus catches, 1500 yard seasons, just ridiculous seasons with the Patriots. If you had him in fantasy at that point and PPR, you were loving this man. He would get you like 10 catches for 90 yards, but 19 points, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, Bill Bryan was also a, a highlight or a mainstay in this episode. He kept he kept appearing. It's funny because it it looked like he kept saying like if you want to coach Tom Brady, you know you gotta let him do his thing. You gotta let him. You gotta accommodate him or something like that. But it kind of just looked like Bill O'Brien was riding uh, Brady's coat. Like it, it it looked like Brady got this man jobs. Like like for for, for a second at towards the end he he started looking a little better. Um, they were telling stories about how he was fiery and, you know, Brady and him would go at it and they would scream and, and then they would be bros again. And that kind of helped, you know, even them, make them look more on par. But for a minute there, it looked like it looked like Bill O'Brien, he was like the OC, the quarterback coach, and he was the one calling the plays. But for, like a, for the beginning, it kind of looked like, all right, Brady, what do you want to run? Oh, what are you thinking here? And then Brady talks. And then Bill O'Brien kind of says something, and Brady's like, "No, no, no, let's do this. I want to do trips. Trips helps me with the with the with the blitz." And then Bill O'Brien's just sitting there, like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, it does help you, huh? Yeah, all right, let's run it, let's run it." And me and my roommate were just laughing, like, "Damn, did was Bill O'Brien doing anything, or was he just being like Brady's yes man, kind of like, oh, we should do this. Oh, yeah, yeah you're right, we should do this.'" But towards the end, he, you know, he looked a little better. But it was just funny because. As we all know, Bill O'Brien did not have the best tenure with the Texans. Um, he's probably one of the main reasons why they're struggling so much this year. Or in recent times, he traded a lot of picks. It was it was bad. He traded Hopkins. He got Johnson. Uh, he made a lot of bad moves with the Texans. And, you know, a lot of people already think of him as inept, including myself. He He's not a good coach. He's not a good GM. So to see... This episode kind of highlight like him just kind of being there at the beginning and Brady just like the one talking and the one calling the plays and the one calling the shots. It, it was funny. It was funny to me. I don't know how you guys took that. I don't know if anyone else had that reaction. But for me, it was like, what? Bill Bryan ain't doing shit. <laughs> it's all Brady and he's getting credit. And, and that's probably how he landed a job. Like, yeah, like uh, I, I do everything. And then you see this film and you're like, oh, it's it was really Brady. But you know, it was nice seeing Giselle and Brady. I just, it opened my eyes. Like, man, Brady's winning at life. He has, you know, the most successful supermodel of all time. He's made the most money. He has, you know, kids, houses, Super Bowls. But even him admitted to having, you know, um, being insecure. He was being insecure when he was coming back from the injury. When he was gone for the season, he talks about how, how tough it is to be away from the team feeling like an outsider and that drove him to like you know always fight for his position like you never he basically said you know nothing's guaranteed and him missing that season really like enlightened him enlightened him to that like oh you think you think you deserve something you think uh something's owed to you all right try try sitting out a season and see what's owed to you and i'm like oh damn i think that season really sparked like another another level of Brady like him missing that season probably was uh, like took him to another level like he he just uh, like how how he bottomed out it, it looked like he bottomed out during that year like he was really like in a tough place but you know they say pressure makes diamonds and it, it that's probably what happened to Tom Brady like he felt the pressure. He felt like how shitty that feeling is not being part of a team. And obviously he wasn't part of the team because of an injury. So it's different. But in his head is like, damn, if I feel this shitty for not being part of a team because I got injured. Imagine like imagine how shitty it would feel if I'm not part of the team because like I lose I lose it because, you know, my 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 playing level goes down or because another up and coming quarterback is better than me. Like how shitty would that be? Cause you can control that. You could you could control how good you play, how good you prepare. He couldn't control the injury. He couldn't control you know that player uh, jumping into his knee, trying to sack him. He couldn't control that, and he feels this bad. But he can control how good he plays, how well he prepares, 
and all that stuff. So I'm pretty sure that's how he took it. So that was that was great. That was great to see a birdie. And man, I feel a little guilty. I feel a little guilty watching Man in the Arena because I think a lot of us, especially people my age, I'm 26 years old, going to 27. A lot of us were conditioned to not like Tom Brady. I mean, growing up a Charger fan, uh, being in the AFC, hoping to see you know the Chargers make the Super Bowl. It was always understood that if you wanna, if you wanna go to the Super Bowl, if you want your team to go to the Super Bowl, you have to get through Brady and Manning. Those were the two guys, and it, it always felt like all right, losing to Manning, it's honorable. It's it's fine. You know, he has a weak defense. He's a great guy. Like, if you lose to the Colts, it's honorable. It's it's the sheriff. It's Manning. If you lose to Brady, who's who has all these, you know, Spygate, Deflategate, all of these stuff, and Bill Belichick, who's like an asshole to the media, it, it's just like, ah, oh, it really just digs you deep. It just leaves you a scar. It just makes keeps you up at night so it was always you know we've been conditioned to feel that way uh, obviously um that's a lot of teams i'm sure if you're like if you're jets dolphins um jaguars no not jaguars jets dolphins bills fan you you hate the man like there's a lot of people that hate the man the spy gate the flag gate all that stuff doesn't help so, you know, I've never been the biggest Tom Brady fan. I've obviously, you can't refute his greatness and all the rings and all that stuff. But, man, as of late, with that move to the Bucks and now, like, this documentary and, you know, he makes TikToks and he, I feel like he's more charismatic charismatic now that he's with the Bucks and he's just way more, like, approachable. It looks like he's more approachable. He looks more human. He doesn't look like a robot, just part of the, you know, the dark side. I'm starting to to come around with Tom Brady. Not just I've came around a long time ago, you know, to appreciate his his football greatness, but now I'm starting to come around as as him, just like as as a fan. And I feel a little guilty because growing up, like I said, I've been conditioned to not really like this man. But as of late, I can't lie. I can't lie. I I've been appreciating his content, where whether it's this documentary, his little TikToks anything his tweets he, he's been a very very charismatic guy so that's i'll end it with that man of the arena episode five another great episode i'm excited for episode six episode seven and yeah great if you haven't seen it you know it's on espn plus you might be able to find it somewhere else but so far great documentary the chiefs and the chargers play tomorrow on thursday night football in the crucial afc west division matchup AFC West is on the line I think the winner of this game wins the division if you look at the Chiefs schedule they have a little bit more tougher they have the Steelers Bengals Broncos all three teams fighting for their playoff wild card lives Chargers they have the Texans Broncos and the Raiders a little easier Texans you know they're the Texans Broncos are going to be fighting for their lives Raiders at that point week 18 I think they should be done they should have no mathematical possibility to come in into the playoffs so if the Chiefs win two game advantage against the Chargers and they split the series and they do have a tougher match tougher um, end of schedule but with the two game lead it's, it's pretty much done like I don't care if their schedule is a little bit harder it's it's done and if the Chargers win they sweep the Chiefs they tie them in record and they have three games and and you would think that they could finish it out texans broncos raiders like if they want to be the team that they want to be and they you know they play up to the chiefs and they beat them again you would think they sh- they should be able to close this out or the or the chiefs losing that game like will they be able to bounce back and win three in a row so i think the winner of this game wins the division first meeting the chargers won 30 to 24 but that chiefs team was Completely different than this Chiefs team. Um, that defense was atrocious at that point, and they've been one of the best defenses this last month or two months. And, uh, but obviously, like, it's tough to make a prediction because, you know, both teams have injuries and COVID is going crazy. We'll touch on COVID in a little bit, but COVID is going crazy. 
the Chiefs will be without Josh Gordon, Chris Jones, among others, who are now in the uh, COVID protocol list. And the Chargers, they'll be with Richard Slater, their left tackle, rookie left tackle, who's been amazing. He's in the COVID um, protocol list too. So but all three of those, all those COVID players are not expected to play. And we got two very important players in Slater, Chris Jones. Do they cancel out? Kind of. Chris Jones plays in the line, defensive line. Chargers play in the um, offensive line, Slater. But I don't think it's that simple. I think they both impact the game. But So if they don't have those two key players, obviously it's hard to do predictions. Chargers could also be without Derwin James, Eckler, and Asante Samuel, who are all game-time decisions. So rather than come on here and try to predict who's going to win and tell you why, because, you know, it's still up in the air. Obviously, if Derwin James, Eckler, or Asante Samuel don't play, that's a big knock for the Chargers, and I would say the Chiefs win. But, you know, the Chiefs' defense has been the driving force, and Chris Jones is probably one of their best players or is one of their best players. So I'm just thinking this game could go either way. But regardless, I'm here to hype you up. I'm here to tell you that this is a must-watch game. A lot of Thursday night games have a reputation for not being that good. But I'll tell you this. This game tomorrow is going to be a great game. And I've been hyping Herbert versus Mahomes for a while. I've been saying that they're going to go down in history as the best interdivisional quarterback competition and quarterback rivalry ever. I'm talking quarterbacks that play most of their career in the same division in their primes. I'm looking at Mahomes and Herbert. They're going to be in the AFC West for the next 10, 15 years. They're going to go at it twice a year. And those matches are probably going to determine who wins the division, who gets to have home playoff games, who has to go on the road. So this is the start. Last year, it was nice to see them play against each other. It was nice to see Herbert, you know, win rookie of the year break the record for most touchdown passes by a rookie. All that good stuff. Chiefs went to the Super Bowl. Chargers didn't make the playoffs. This year, it's different, especially this game. I think it's more important. It's different than the earlier in the season when, you know, you have a lot of games to make up. You have a lot of games to to write the story of this season. <clears throat> right now, towards the end of the season, this game is important. Whoever wins this game, like I said, most likely is going to win the division. Whoever wins this game is going to end up you know, hosting playoff games is going to go a long way <clears throat> into determining who wins the AFC. It's either the Chargers are arriving as real threats for the AFC West for years to come, or it's either the Chiefs, you know, staking their claim and saying they're still a team to be in the AFC West. And, you know, they're, they're on their way to getting that number one seed in the AFC. If not, Chargers take that um, AFC West spot in the playoffs. Chiefs fall down back into the wild card race, which would be crazy because they're on a crazy run. So all I'm saying is make sure you watch these games. It's going to be a great game. Chargers versus Chiefs, Thursday Night Football. Make sure to watch it. Mahomes versus Herbert. It's going to be amazing. I'm telling you, this is going to be the rivalry of the next decade. They're guaranteed two matchups every year. They both have cannon of arms. I'm excited. Thursday Night Football, Chargers with the Chiefs for the AFC West Division. Make sure to watch. And if you have a chance to go to that game, make sure to go. Because are we headed towards another COVID shutdown? It looks like we're heading toward another COVID sports shutdown. On Monday and Tuesday, the NFL reported 65 cases. The worst two-day outbreak report since the pandemic started. Not the numbers you want to hear. The Browns themselves have 15-plus players on the COVID list, including Baker Mayfield. OBJ, Jalen Ramsey are on it for the Rams. There's a lot of star players in the NFL on the COVID list. There's a lot of star players in the NBA. Over 90 players in the NFL are in the COVID protocol list. In the NBA, the Bulls had to reschedule two games on Tuesday and one tomorrow on Thursday versus the Pistons and the Raptors. Because they have like 10 players on the COVID list. It was funny. I saw Vucevic tweet out before the game against the Pistons. If they wanted to play 3v3s. Because both rosters were just decimated by COVID. And they couldn't play. And you know a little a little chuckle of Vucevic being a little funny. Should we just run a 3v3? And it's crazy. And you know there's outbreaks in the Premier League too. 
The Premier League reported 42 cases of COVID in one week, another record for the most cases reported in the Premier League since the pandemic started. We had an outbreak in Tottenham too, and they had to reschedule a game. So it's just, it's like, there's all the signs are there, man. You can't ignore the signs. I've said that before. The signs are there. You can't ignore the signs. And it's just, are we heading towards another shutdown of the leagues? Hopefully not, especially right now when we're heading towards the playoffs in the NFL. But you got to take into consideration public health. Public health is always, you know, should be the number one priority. So if it starts getting even more out of control, you got, you might have to shut it down. Like you might start hearing about the local governments, the local the local communities saying like, "Oh, what are we doing here? How are we having people packing these stadiums, going to these games? How are we having players playing against each other, going out into the communities, spreading it? Like, uh, it's good. It's, it's bad PR for the league if they keep going. If this gets worse and they keep going, obviously right now you know they can still wiggle their way through it. NFL and NBA are talking about new COVID protocols as we speak." to you know probably make it a little stricter hope that the the they could spread the the spread they could stop the spread of covid but omicron has been detected in the nba so hopefully for our sake it is not it is not as lethal and scary as they're making omicron to be but all i'm saying is brace yourself if you want to catch a game go soon go soon like we might not have games in January or February, like there's no way to know how this is going, especially if you're in California, very progressive. We're probably going to be one of the first ones to, uh, you know, shut it down, especially uh, I live in SF. So I'm, I'm talking the Warriors. Like once once this hits the fan, they're probably going to get rid of fans. The Raptors already knocked down their capacity, their max capacity to 50. So if you're in Toronto and you're trying to see the Raptors, go soon before they knock it down to zero but it's just scary times obviously you kind of you could have kind of predicted this going into the winter into the winter um where it gets colder and you know i guess flu flu and covid uh, spread faster so we'll see how the leagues respond to this we'll see if we're able to power through or if there has to be some sort of pause or something but it looks like it looks like we're heading towards another sports shutdown. It's sad to say, obviously for me who loves sports, who has a sports podcast, but it, I don't want to. I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to, you know, speak it into existence. But I'm just saying, it doesn't look good, man. Like if we're having 65 cases reported on Monday and Tuesday, who's to say we don't get 90 next week? Who's to say we don't get a, we don't hit 100? And if you're seeing those numbers, if you're if you're hitting triple digits in a two day span, like uh, there's gonna be a lot of pressure. There's gonna be a lot of pressure to shut this whole thing down. So, you know, if you if you guys watch the Pat McAfee show, uh, there's been a lot of times when they they've said we beat COVID, we beat COVID. But and I I I've I've thought that too. I'm like, okay, we got we. We're getting through it. Look at these numbers. They're going all the way down. But, man, COVID is resilient. I think it's, if anything, these numbers should just, you know, raise our awareness and just not get too comfortable, not get complacent. You know, wash your hands, wear your mask, all that good stuff. Um, if not if not for the evidence that we've seen for the last two years, I know all of us love sports, man. Let's try to slow this thing down so we could have our sports I love sports, man. Hopefully it doesn't shut down. And, you know, everyone that's listening, if you're not listening, take care of yourself. Stay, stay, um, try to stay away from people if you can. And if not, if you want to go see a game, I'm just saying this would be a good time to go. I mean, not if you're trying to catch it. If you're trying to be safe and not catch it, obviously stay home. But if you're one of those people that are like, okay, like I haven't seen a game in the last two years. I was thinking about going maybe in March or may or something it might be time to get in there before it gets shut down because it looks like it might get shut down but that should do it for the for this episode of the hearts to handle sports podcast if you made it to the end as always i appreciate you thank you so much for listening and have a great rest of your day stay safe wash your hands and take care